Thank you for listening to Southside Baptist Church's podcast. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at southsidesbc.org. Again, that's southsidesbc.org. Additionally, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus and why we serve Him, please email us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to your Bibles, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, you should have received an outline in your bulletin. If you did not, if you'll raise your hand, uh, one of our ushers will get you one of those. And boys and girls ages four years old through kindergarten, you may go to children's church at this time. So while you are turning in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, and that, yes, we are in Deuteronomy again. I know we were in Deuteronomy chapter 8 here a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, we are touching on a, a couple of areas here of Deuteronomy. I wanted to, um, it's good to have our youth back. Uh, I know they were, uh, had a great time this week in Nashville, as Mark's already said. And so, um, youth, uh, real proud of you guys for going. And uh, those, all the leaders, you survived, right? You survived a week with our youth, and that's good. And uh, Mark survived, um, and he still has all his hair. I wasn't... I wasn't sure about that for a while, and um, there are some pictures that may bring that into question. So, anyway, um, but it's good to have you guys back, Laura and I, and the uh, rest of our kids. And also, uh, Alan Amiel went down to um, Dallas, Texas um, for the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, some of you say, Pastor, what is a Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, what, on world, what in the earth uh, happens there? Well, um, it is uh, a lot of stuff happens there. Um, but it's a time of encouragement and a uh, time where we get to hear. So it's kind of broken up into two sections. Sunday and Monday is known as uh, the pastor's conference. So last Sunday and uh, starts on Sunday evening. And uh, Monday is a pastor's conference. Anybody can go. You don't have to be a pastor. And uh, that actually where you hear preaching. So we, I get preached to. Okay, get to encouragement, uh, challenged, um, and uh, singing praise to the Lord. We sing uh, worship as well. Um, so that's really just all day, um, well, not all, it started Sunday night, so we had a couple hours, three hours Sunday night, all day Monday, preaching, singing, just real great opportunity. I don't know, how many preachers on Monday, Alan? Nine preachers on Monday, three Sunday night, nine on Monday, uh, 12 sermons. Listen, that's, that'll at least last me 12 weeks, right, and stuff, so... Um, and then on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday is the actual business part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, where we um, get to hear reports from the various agencies, conduct uh, the business of the convention and those kind of things, vote on the new president for our convention. Um, J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church in uh, Durham, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, um, is our new president of our convention. Um, some of you may have heard there's other things going on. You know, I, I love it how um, the media... Uh, loves to take something, and they just like to blow stuff up, right? And so some of you have probably been reading some stuff. Let me um, just uh, share with you that uh, our convention is on good footing, okay? Um, there, there, while there are many times, um, anytime you have over 47,000 churches and the various agencies that are um, involved with that, um, there's going to be things out there and so forth. But what I can report to you is that um, our, our convention and um, our fellowship of churches is strong in the gospel, um, focused on uh, reaching people for Christ, 
winning a lost world to Christ and, um, and supporting our churches. And so uh, be in prayer for our convention. We've got a couple of different agencies that are looking for new presidents. Uh, I have some interim guys in those positions right now, and so um, that's always a matter of prayer. But please be in prayer for that um, for the, um, over the next few weeks and months as they are uh, determining that. But just kind of wanted to give you a little report. Some of you probably don't have any idea what goes on. The pastor's gone. What's he gone again for? I don't know. And all this. Well, um, and, and really during those days, it's 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. It's long days, right, Alan? So, you know, um, but it was good and a good encouragement, good to hear what God's doing through our convention. Um, I wanted to, today we're going to talk, uh, today is Father's Day, and so um, it is one of those days throughout the year. Um, you know, I, those of you who've been going here to Southside for a long time will, will understand this. Um, I, in general, I don't let Hallmark determine my preaching calendar, okay? Um, you know, uh, obviously there are certain days that we're going to uh, emphasize and are big days, but uh, um, I, I'm, I'm glad to recognize certain people on certain days, but uh, man, if we let them, Hallmark would just determine what we focus on every Sunday, and uh, that would be about it. But no, this Sunday is one of those days I think it is just appropriate um, to talk to fathers. So I want to do that today, and I'm going to, guys, I want to challenge you today. So today, ladies, is the amen corner. You're the amen corner, all right? So let's pray. Amen? Amen. All right. Guys, you can amen as well, okay? How many of you, um, how many of you like or love the Olympics? Anybody like to watch the Olympics? Okay, some of you, okay. How many, how many, win, how many like the Winter Olympics better than the Summer Olympics? Okay, just a couple. Summer Olympics better than the Winter Olympics? All right. How many like the Summer Olympics just because it's warm and it looks warm? Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, I want to share a story with you that uh, you probably will remember. It's hard to, uh, hard to fathom that this, the story that I'm going to share with you actually took place 14 years ago. Um, Mark was just a toddler at the time. Um, I'm sorry, Mark. I had to, not quite, but uh, I missed you. There you go. The year was 2004. 2004, the Summer Olympic Games in Athens, Greece. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. For me, this memory is very uh, vivid. Um, The American women's 4x100 relay race team was favored to win the gold medal. Do you remember that? The team featured a lady, young lady by the name of Marion Jones, a sprinter who had won four gold medals at the previous games in Sydney, Australia. As they started the race, the American team got off to a strong start when Marion Jones uh, took the baton for the second leg of the race. She gained ground as she ran her 100 meters and approached Lauren Williams, a young speedster who was to run the third leg of the race. Williams began running as Jones got drew near to her as she was supposed to. But when Williams reached back to receive the handoff of the baton, for some reason, Marion Jones could not get the baton into her hand. You remember that? It was startling. As Marion Jones tried once, twice, three times, finally at the fourth try, as Marion Jones reached out, Lauren Williams grabbed the baton and began running. However... Uh, by that time, they had crossed out of the 20-yard exchange zone and were therefore disqualified. You remember. Everyone knew they were the ones that were supposed to, they weren't supposed to just do well. They were supposed to win it all. They had everything it took. Uh, they, uh, they were the fastest ones. In fact, the night before, they had the fastest qualifying time. 
But friends, because they couldn't complete the handoff, their race was over. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with the Bible and spirituality and faith and all of that? Friends, just as their failure, the failure of those ladies to pass the baton successfully, just one to another, led to their downfall and their defeat. If we fail to pass on our faith to the next generation, it will be our downfall as well. Um, Some of you have heard me talk about this a lot. I believe as a church that we need to constantly be reaching the next generation. I believe if we don't reach the next generation, you know what's going to happen? The church is the church. a, A church will die off will die out if they don't focus on reaching the next generation. And so as a church, um, I believe one of our most important things we do is to reach the next generation. Oh, but pastor, and listen, please don't get upset with me when I say this because we want to minister to all ages. Uh, we want anybody and everybody to hear the gospel and to come to the gospel. But if we don't, we don't. And I, say, I can say we because I'm, I'm, I'm approaching that big Not yet. Not yet. But I'm getting there. Just a few more years, uh, the the big 5-0. But uh, we've got to begin to say, how do we pass on this, our faith to the next generation? How do we bring young people to faith in Christ? Here's a question I want to ask you. Whose responsibility is it? Whose primary responsibility is it? To, to pass our faith on to the next generation. Is it, is it the church? Well, I believe we have a hand in that, but I don't believe it's the church's primary responsibility. I want you to look in our text this morning in Deut- Deuteronomy <clears throat> chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Our text today... <clears throat> Moses is speaking to the Israelites. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a few minutes. But they are on the precipice. They are on the edge, the verge of going into the promised land, this time for real. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this. It says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you into a land flowing with milk and honey. What I want you to notice here is that as as Moses and while Moses is speaking to all of Israel, he is specifically addressing one group of people. Who is he addressing? There in verse 2 it says, you and your son and your grandson. Friends, he is specifically addressing the men. Now, why is he doing this? Uh, Listen, we live in a day 
where men are getting a bad rap. Some deservedly so. Some have been jerks. Some have misused and misabused their power and their position. And absolutely we stand against that. Amen? But because of that, I believe men, we in general, have failed to step up to the plate where God has called us to step up to the plate. Um, I don't believe that Moses was being chauvinistic here. You say, well, does he not believe that women are capable? Uh, I don't believe that's the, that's, that's the reality at all. Friends, women have often carried the torch throughout history. And praise God for that. Listen, my mom carried the torch in our family, and I'm thankful for that. I'm here today because of that. And so it's not that, our, that, that ladies, that you're not capable. It's not that, that you can't uh, uh, lead and, and others to Christ. You can. But I believe God is addressing men friends, because men, we are the ones. We are the ones whom God will hold primarily responsible for the spiritual well-being of our nation. Here, specifically, the the men were the ones God was going to, will hold, holds accountable for the spiritual well-being of Israel. Guys, I want you, I just want you to let that sink in for just a little bit. Because I think in our culture and in our country, when people talk about leadership and, and oh, well, so-and-so can lead this, but so-and-so can't lead this. And, uh, and we look at leadership and we say, oh, wow, well, I get to lead or I don't get to lead and so forth. Friends, listen, leadership is not about who gets to. It's about who is going to be held responsible for that. Who is God going to hold responsible? God places the primary responsibility for teaching the next generation about himself, not on mom, although moms do a great job of that. God places the primary responsibility for teaching the next generation, not on grandma. Even though grandmothers, you have done a great job of that. Not on preschool teachers, not on Awana leaders, even though they all do a great job, not even on the church. Friends, but God places the primary responsibility of teaching the next generation about himself squarely on the shoulders of dad. And dads, let me just say, I believe we as a whole have been failing. And maybe not you individually. I want to ask you, how does that responsibility make you feel? Knowing that. Does it make you feel overwhelmed? Does it make you feel inadequate? Maybe even a little irresponsible? Guys, I believe that most men, most men that I know will rise to the occasion when confronted with a challenge. Amen? Listen, you give us a project, something that that we know what, what our responsibility is, and most men will rise to the challenge and do what is called of us. So men, today I want to challenge you. Um, There are no apologies here. This is a challenge, guys, to you to step up to the plate. In your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your businesses, and in your church. Um, I want to challenge you with how God wants you to impact your kids. I, I want to challenge you with how God wants us to impact the next generation. Amen? I want to challenge you in three areas. So take your outline this morning.
Number one, I want to challenge you first of all, because the next generation will be impacted. There are three ways here I want to talk to you about this morning. Three ways that the next generation, we can impact that next generation. First of all, guys, is with our attitudes. First is with our attitudes. I want to give you, let's back up just a little bit. I talked already a little bit about this. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as also in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Moses is speaking again to the Israelites. They are now for the second time on the verge of the promised land. If you remember, God had brought them out of Egypt and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He had parted the Red Sea and brought them through, um, brought them fairly quickly to the edge of the promised land said, hey, here's the land that I promised to your fathers and your grandfathers. Go in and take it. Go in and possess it. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they didn't. They refused to listen to God, to obey God. And because of that, God sent them back to wander in the wilderness for 40 years as a punishment uh, for their disobedience and not listening and obeying him. After that 40 years was over, God allowed that generation to die off. And now he has brought this new generation to the edge of the promised land. And Moses has begun here to um, restate many of the things that he had told their fathers and their grandfathers uh, 40 years before. He has restated the 10, 10 commandments that God delivered to him on Mount Sinai. He is reminding them of many of the things that God had already um, spoken through him to the people. And he's given them instructions about uh, how they are to live in the land. Now there's a sense, I believe, as we read this, of urgency in Moses' voice. Moses is coming to the end of his ministry as their leader. And he'll soon pass the baton, baton off to Joshua, who will lead them and have the responsibility of leading the people into the promised land and to attain God's promises. So Moses gives these words here in chapter 6 in preparation for the many challenges that they are about to face. And he is concerned primarily with their spiritual welfare and specifically their attitude towards God. I believe here in the first few verses of chapter 6, we see three specific attitudes that Moses is concerned with about the the, the Israelites and the men that that they would have these attitudes, but they also would pass on these attitudes to their children. First of all is this, friends, first attitude that that they need to have and possess and, and also pass along is an attitude of fear towards God. Verse 1 says this, says, this is the commandment. These are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. What does it mean to fear God? Um, you know, I believe to define how we fear God, it may be even easier to define not fearing God. Um, many people in our world today have no regard for God, for no regard for God or His Word. Amen. They don't care about God. I don't, I don't care what God thinks. I'm not even sure there's a, a God exists. And so, friends, having a fear of God. Uh, having having a healthy fear of God, first of all, is believing that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. 
and, and, and believing that we're going to stand before him one day and that we are accountable to him. Uh, uh, the, the, the beginning of wisdom starts, wisdom starts with, the, with the fear of God. Amen? And so uh, we need to understand that. It, having a healthy fear of God, friends, means that we care what God thinks. And, and, and we, we have a mindset and an attitude. We want to live our life with the understanding that God wants to have a relationship with us, that we need to be in right relationship with him, and we need to be walking with him daily. Amen? That's what Moses wanted for them. Guys, that's what I believe we need. We need men who will walk with God. Amen? A pastor overheard his young son playing in his backyard in their backyard with some of his buddies and um, the conversation turned amusingly to one of those my dad can whip your dad kind of conversation you know hey my dad do this my dad can do that and before he knew it he he heard one of the boys saying proudly well my dad knows the mayor of our town one of the other little boys uh, he overheard saying well that's nothing he said my dad knows the governor of our state the pastor was wondering about his little boy. He was like, I don't know anybody. What in the world is he going to come up with next? <laughs> to which he heard his little boy. He said, well, that's nothing. My dad knows God. Friends, listen. Oh, that we would have men that simply know God. Amen. That we know the Lord. That we fear him. That we walk with him in humility. Seeking to live our lives the way he wants us to live them. Friends, we need to have an attitude of fear towards the Lord. Second, not only did Moses want them to have a healthy fear of God, friends, but he wants them to have an attitude of obedience towards God. Verse 2 continues on. Moses says that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you, your son, and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Friends, Moses knows that we can say we love God. We can speak it with our lips, but guess what? If it doesn't happen with our feet, it's just lip service. Amen? Uh, obedience needs to follow. Uh, yes, we need to have our heart uh, Connected to the Lord. We need to know Him as Lord and Savior, friends. But a, a key part of that is um, obeying Him. Doing what He calls us to do. Listen, the proof is in the pudding. Amen? Do our lives exhibit not only an attitude of a fear of the Lord, but also an attitude of obedience to the Lord? Um, are we seeking to do what God tells us to do? Guys, are you listening to that still small voice? Are you listening for God's leading in your life? Are you obeying his promptings? Are you turning from sin? And are you turning to Christ and to righteousness? Are we allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be displayed in our lives? And are we allowing him to lead us and guide us in telling others about Christ? Friends, simply put, if we love him, we will do what he says. Amen? We need to have an attitude uh, of fear a healthy fear of God. Second, we need to have an attitude of obedience towards God. Third, Moses says here we need to have an attitude of expectancy towards God. In verse 3, it says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, 
that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you into a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, I can't help but to imagine as they're sitting there, um, them imagining how great it's going to be as they go into the land. You know, listen, their, their fathers have been telling them about this. God has a land. He's promising you. It is flowing with milk and honey. Now, um, you know, somebody at the convention actually said this this week. You know, some people have a hard time um, really um, getting excited about that land, maybe because they're lactose intolerant. And they think, you know, really, I am. Um, the reality is, friends, this was really the way they were saying, listen, this is an abundant land. They brought back grapes that were huge. It took two people to carry the grapes, okay? It was how abundant, how plentiful this land was. And so as we uh, talk about this, as Moses talked about this, and he said, listen, um, uh, hear, o- obey, um, fear the Lord. Why? So that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. Friends, listen, Moses wanted them to be excited about what God had for them and God had in store for their lives. You know, it's a, can I just tell you something? It's, I think as Christians, sometimes um, it's very easy for us to be Debbie Downers. Um, it's okay to be excited about what God is doing in your life. We should be excited about what God's doing in our life. We should be excited about following the Lord and, 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 and wanting to walk with Him and, and being expectant of the things that He's going to do in our lives. Here's the problem. The problem is that here in the United States of America, too many children, what they see from their fathers about spiritual things is not an excitement about the things of the Lord, but an attitude of apathy towards God. Um. And I don't care, or an I could care less attitude about spiritual things. You see, most kids see their fathers get more excited about football or guns or, or soccer or NASCAR than they ever do about spiritual things. Guys, I think we just need to take an, a, a, an inventory. Amen? You know, do we have an excitement when we talk to our kids about the Lord? Do, we, do, we, do they know that we care about a, a relationship with God? Do we care? Do they know that we care about following the Lord and obeying Him and living uh, and, and walking with Him? I want you to listen to the effect that an I don't care attitude can have on the next generation. One elder Christian statement has devoted his entire life to a, a 50 year study of Christian and non Christian families. What he discovered in this study is that in the United States today, Most young adults who are actively following Christ come from one of two backgrounds. So the study is that most young adults who are actively following Christ, not talking about teenagers, but 20-somethings and so forth, who are actively following Christ come from one of two backgrounds. Either they come from a non-Christian home where they were converted to Christ in their teenage years through a dynamic youth ministry, or... They come from homes where they grew up in love with Jesus because mom and dad were in love with Jesus. And it showed in how they lived. In other words, it passed through their pores. So understand that. What he's saying is that his study has shown that most young adults who are passionate about their faith uh, come from one of two places. Either from a non-Christian home where they got saved in a dynamic youth ministry or from a home where it was obvious that mom and dad loved Jesus. This next part is very 
um, sobering. He goes on to say, very few believers come from homes where there was an apathetic, indifferent commitment to Christ by the parents. Very few believers. Here's his conclusion. He says, it is both sobering and thought-provoking to suggest that in the United States of America, the chances are better for a child growing up in a non-Christian home to become a Christian than for a child growing up in a home that has an indifferent, apathetic commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, I think that ought to cause us to, for, to do a self-eval. Amen? What is your attitude towards God? What is your attitude towards the things of God? What do your children see in you? Is it an apathetic? Eh? Or do they see that you are excited about the Lord? When, when you, I, I, this is something our family's just been talking about, so forth. But when you go on vacation, you know, is it, is it wow, I, I, we, t- we not only take a vacation from work, but we're taking a vacation from God. Or is it, no, you know what, we're excited. We're going to get to go and visit some, a different church this weekend because we're away somewhere. Is it, you know what, um, no, we, we're taking a break from God. Or, you know what, um, we continue to talk about how God's at work in our lives and let God use us in different ways, even when we're not in our regular routines. Man, I just want to challenge you because I know, guys, I know as I'm looking out over our congregation today, I know where your heart is. I know your heart loves the Lord. I, I, I know uh, many of you have been saved by the grace of God, and you're grateful for that. Guys, it is up to us to lead our families to the Lord and lead them in a passionate walk with Christ. Our families, the next generation, will be impacted by our attitude, whether it is excited, dedicated to the Lord, or whether it is apathetic. Number two, friends, not only will the next generation be affected and impacted by our attitudes, But our kids, the next generation, will also be impacted by our words. Yes, it needs to start with our attitude. We'll see that again here in our text in just a second, friends. But what we say to our children is important as well. Amen? You know, guys, we need to, and we'll talk about this again. It needs to be an attitude, a good, our example needs to be good. But what we say is important as well. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Friends, verses 4 through 9 here are known as the Shema. It is a Jewish confession of faith. It's recited twice a day by devout Jews, many even to this day. Later on in Jewish history, some Jews took this literally and tied little boxes containing these verses known as phylacteries to their hands and foreheads with thongs of leather. Um, But what are these verses really talking about? 
as we read this, is God giving a prescription that we're supposed to write Bible verses down and we're supposed to tuck them in little boxes and put them on our forehead? I don't believe that's what this is talking about at all. Uh, let's look at it again uh, here in verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You say, but pastor, that, that's a verse in the New Testament. Yeah, you're right. In fact, Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment. And here it is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You see, uh, the Jews, and, and this is really what Moses and, and the Lord is trying to get through to them here, and many of them still did not learn it, that it was not just about religious things that we do, but it's about what's in here. He goes on in verse 6, says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. In other words, it's almost as, as if he knew exactly what they would do with this. And it wasn't really what he was intended. He's saying, listen, apply this to your heart. Listen, this, this is to change your heart because I have loved you, says the Lord. He said, you shall love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he didn't stop there. Verse 7, he says, you shall teach these things diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Really, he's covered everything there. Amen. You know, uh, he, listen, when you're sitting around just chatting, having a good time, when you're sitting by the fireplace, when you, when you walk by the way, when you're driving in your car, if it was written today, I'm sure it would have said that. When you, when you lie down, when you, when you rise up, he's saying, listen, through all the stages of life and everything you do, we need to talk to our kids about the Lord. It needs to be a part of everything we do. Amen? Friends, we are supposed to teach our children about the Lord at all times. And so even verses 8 and 9, I don't believe this was really meant to be taken literally. I mean, I just mean, I think he means, listen, it should be right here. It should be in front of us all the time. It should always be a part of what we're talking about with our kids. One commentator points out what God is doing here in this passage is he's emphasizing the importance of parents teaching the Bible to their children. The church or Christian schools cannot be used to escape from this responsibility. Eternal truths are most effectively learned in the loving environment of a God-fearing home. He goes on to say that the Jews were extremely successful at making their spirituality an integral part of life. The reason for their success in this was that for them, spiritual education was life-oriented, not information-oriented. They used the context of daily life to teach about God. The key to teaching your children to love God is stated clearly in these verses. If you want your children to follow the Lord, you must make Him a part of your everyday experiences. Let me repeat that. If you want your children to follow the Lord, you must make the Lord, a part of your everyday experiences, not just a Sunday morning experience. You must teach your children to see God in all aspects of life, not just those that are church-related. Friends, in other words, dads, moms, parents, here's what I believe he's saying is, live life with your kids. And as you live life with your kids, don't just think of your role being to protect them from everything in this world. Don't just think of your role is, well, I brought them to church. Now you do, Mark, with what you can with them. <laughs> no. 
Our responsibility is that as we go through life, as they experience stuff, we are supposed to talk with them about that. Amen? Um, let me just say something. You can't protect your kids from everything in the world today. You can't. And, and I'm not just talking about the dangers that are in the world. I, I'm, I'm the physical danger. I'm not just talking about physical dangers. You know, but we try to protect, we, we, we all want to, and I understand that need. I want to, I want to help them maintain their quote unquote innocence as long as they can. Right. But, but here's the problem with that. At some point or another, they're going to be confronted with somebody who uses the Lord's name in vain. What do they do with that? They're going to be confronted with others who don't believe in God. What do they do with that? If they grow up and all of a sudden they hit 18 years old and that you've never talked to them about this stuff. So as you go through life, and, and you know what? Um, on our trip, we had a couple of uh, instances where uh, we were in, in situations um, where, where, let me just say, folks were throwing some colorful words around. You know, I could cover their ears and say, no, 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 don't hear that. You can't do that. Here's why we don't talk like that. Here's why that's not honoring to the Lord. Um, how do you respond to a person who does when they talk to you like that? And, and so we talk through these things. And how do we treat people even when they maybe are doing things that God doesn't approve of? We love them. We care about them. We seek to share the gospel with them, friends. But because yet for the grace of God, so go I. Amen? So we love them. We share Christ with them. That's why it's so important that we do that. And so instead of protecting our kids and putting them in a bubble and so forth, friends, I believe we need to use the stuff that life throws at us and them as an opportunity to teach them about spiritual things, teach them about the Lord, about how to have a relationship with him, about what he's done for us on the cross and why we all need his forgiveness. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Amen. Dads. We are the ones who are the chief agents, teaching agents in our home. Now, I understand this. Let me, just, let me speak to this just for a minute. Um, we have homeschooled our children in their younger years. And I am not their primary teacher in that. My wife does a great job with that. And so she has poured herself into our kids and Thank Jesus has made up for many of my deficiencies. It is important for us to be on the same page. But the ultimate responsibility to make sure that our kids get the spiritual instruction, understand who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and how to grow up in him, and how to live for him, God's going to hold me responsible for. So I want to ask you a question. And, and let me just say this. Here's, here's the thing. Some of you may be sitting here and say, well, I raised my kids. <laughs> Good luck. This doesn't just apply to fathers. It applies to grandfathers. Grandmothers. Your son, you, your son, and your grandson. All the days of your life. Are you using your life to teach your kids about the Lord? 
How are your words impacting your kids? How are you being intentional in how you teach your children? And maybe this is a question for you, grandfathers, grandmothers. Um, uh, maybe, maybe your kids are, uh, maybe your, kid, your, your child is not living for the Lord as they ought. So how are you able to impact that next generation? Do you even think about this? Do you allow God to use the everyday events of your life with your kids, with your grandkids to teach them about him? And so my question for you is this, if not, would you start today? I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to encourage you to righteousness and to live the way the Lord wants us to. Amen. Because here's the deal. Not only will our kids, our grandkids, that next generation be impacted by our attitudes. Not only will they be impacted by our obedience to the Lord, friends, and and be impacted by our words, but they also will be impacted by our testimony. I love there's a cute little story. Father and son were climbing in the mountains. When the father came to a fork in the path, he came to a place where he had to choose between two paths, and there was some danger as they were climbing up through the mountains and so forth. And as he stood there, he was trying to determine which was the best path to take. As he stood there trying to make a decision, his, his little son looked up at him and reminded him of the great responsibility when he said, Dad, you go, you go right ahead. I'm right behind you. Whether we realize it or not, our kids are right behind us. They're watching us, learning from how we live our lives. Friends, it is important what we say to our kids. But here's what we need to understand. What we say to our kids can be nullified very quickly if we live a hypocritical life that doesn't match what we are telling them. In verses 10 through 12, Moses gives the Israelites a warning. Verse 10, he says, So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you, excuse me, did not plant, when you have eaten and are full. In other words, friends, who is the one that gives blessings into our lives? God does. He's the one who has saved us. He's the one who has redeemed us. We've not pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. If you're here this morning and you are saved, you're a child of God, you're a Christian, then you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, not by your own sweat and tears. We need to be grateful for that. But when you are living in the blessings of a life that, is, that God has blessed you, look at verse 12, he says, Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. His warning to them was, listen, when I take you into the promised land and you've got all this abundance that I have given to you, then, then beware, lest you forget God. Friends, listen, when we're down and out, we cry out to God. But when things are going well, what do we do? Man, I've been really successful, haven't I? We need to be careful. Moses' warning here is, don't forget the Lord and what he has done. Friends, how easy it is for us to forget the Lord in our lives. To get busy about our everyday activities. To get busy doing even good things. 
to let other things take precedence, friends, that we simply leave God out. I believe that's what the devil has done here in America. You know, when you talk to a lot of people, um, <clears throat> on our trip, I've, as I, I try to, try to talk to people, and, you know, sometimes it leads to more in-depth conversations, sometimes it doesn't, but, you know, what I find, people say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I believe in God, I, I, I love the Lord, I, I believe in Jesus, and so forth, and, well, if that is the case, then why aren't more people standing for Him in America today? A lot of people say they love God, say we stand for Jesus, say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Bible. They're nowhere to be found. Men, it is our God-given responsibility to make sure that we don't leave God out. Um, <clears throat> that, that, that first with ourselves and then with our families. Amen? <clears throat> you say, Pastor, you know what? You're right. Pastor, I understand. I, 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 I get it. I, I'm, I'm going to grab the bull by the horns, Pastor, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them what's what, and we're going to follow the Lord. No, 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 no. Listen, leadership that God has called us to, men, is not a dictatorship. It is leadership like Christ has shown us. So I want to give you five simple instructions, guys. I would encourage you to write these down. Nothing magical about these other than I hope will give you something <clears throat> Some takeaways today. Number one, what do I do with all this, Pastor? How do, how do I go from here? Yeah, Pat, and so my hope is that you say, yes, Pastor, I need to be a better father. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better leader and take upon the responsibility that God's given me. How do I do that? Number one, get yourself right with the Lord. In other words, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you believe He died for you and rose again? that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, then put your faith and trust in Him and begin to walk with Him. But let me give you, you're already saved, let me give you three simple words. Three simple words that I want you to remember. They're not rocket science, but simply this, repent, surrender, repeat. Guys, it starts with us saying, God, I have not been who I need to be. I have not led like I need to lead. God, I've not been the father I need to be. Please forgive me of that. Second, I surrender myself to you, Lord. Some of you say, but Pastor, what does that mean? I don't know what that means for you. What I do know is it starts with us repenting and surrendering ourselves to the Lord. Saying, Lord, I want to be the dad you want me to be. I want to be the husband you want me to be. I, I, God, I, I want to I follow you and I want to be the leader that you want me to be. Whatever that means. Repent. Surrender. And let me just tell you something, guys. That's not a one-time thing. Yes, we only need to be saved once. Once we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're saved. But as men, as individuals, we continue to fail. We fall short. So we repent, we surrender, and when need be, very often we repeat that process. Repent, surrender, repeat. Number two, second of all, guys, let your family see you put Jesus first in your life. If you want to put one simple word, make Jesus your priority. 
your priority in your life. You say, well, Jesus is going to be priority for my family. Guys, Jesus can't be priority for your family if he's not priority for you. What does that mean? Again, I don't know specifically what that means for you, but it may mean that you need to begin to stop just saying, I believe this book and start walking in the book. Stop saying you believe God and the Holy Spirit, but start listening to him. Get off of your apathy and get into motion. Amen? Let your family see you put Christ first. Make sure that, you know what, in my life, that, that, that from the time I get up, Jesus is going to be number one in my life. With the decisions that you make, that they're not just about you, but they are putting Christ first. The, even the decisions you make for yourself first and later for your family. Number three, serve them as Jesus has served us. Now, guys, we'll often have to go back to number one, repent, surrender, repeat, because we fall short on this. And part of that is because of our nature. Um, God has, um, I believe, sometimes given men a stubbornness for a reason. But that stubbornness needs to be stubbornness in control of the Spirit of God. So let God serve your family as Jesus served us. Listen, Jesus was willing to die for us. He gave himself. He was the ultimate servant leader. Guys, that's how we need to be with our families. Number four, then gently lead them how God leads you. Gently lead them how God leads you. In most situations, I believe most women are more than willing to follow a man who is following the Lord. Thank you, ladies. Number five, and then, then and only then, after you have made sure you have done one, two, three, and four, then and only then set a godly course for your family to follow. Set a godly course for your family to follow. And as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It may mean for some of you, you may say, Pastor, listen, um, I have long failed that, Pastor, and I, I, there's, I'm just, just too late. It's never too late until it's... Listen, maybe you need to go before your family and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I have not been the godly leader that I need to be. And so I'm going to let God start with me and I'm going to let him work on me. And by the grace of God, we're going to we're going to walk as a family together in honoring the Lord. My prayer is that you allow God to do that in your life and allow him to lead you in that way. Amen. I want to close with this story. Some years ago, there was a story about a father whose young son had become very ill After the boy had undergone an exhaustive series of tests, the father was told the shocking news that his son's illness was terminal. The child had placed his trust and believed in Jesus for his salvation. So the dad knew that death would usher him into glory, but but he wondered how he was going to tell his young son that that time was coming sooner rather than later. How do you deliver the news to your child that they have a terminal illness? 
After earnestly seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit, the father went with a heavy heart through the hospital ward to his son's bedside. First, he opened up and read a passage of Scripture and had a time of prayer with his son. Then he gently told his son that the doctors said that he had only a few more days to live. The father looked his son in the eye and said, Son, are you afraid to meet Jesus? The little boy, blinking away, trying to hold back the tears, responded bravely and said, Dad, no, I'm not afraid to meet Jesus. Not if he's like you. Guys, that's the kind of example we need to be to our kids. Amen? We need to reflect the character of our Lord. Would you, would you allow God to do that in you today? What's keeping you from being the leader that God has called you to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for the ways in which I have fallen short in leading my kids and my family. Lord, I want to be the father that you've called me to be. Lord, I want to reflect your character. And oftentimes I find myself not doing that. Lord, wash me all over again. Thankful and grateful, Lord Jesus, for the blood that you have shed for me. You have redeemed me. You have made me your child. Lord, help me to lead my family to live wholeheartedly for you. I want to lift up the men who are here today. Lord, for those who are who are challenged by this, say, yes, I want to lead my family. Lord, would you empower them and strengthen them, Lord, to take whatever steps they need to today. For those who have feel guilty because maybe they, they, they say, I've made mistakes. Lord, help them to take that to the cross and leave it there. And from this point forward, to, to seek to, to live humbly with you and walk with you and to lead their families and others in that as well. Lord, make us a church full of men who love you want to serve you and unashamedly put you first in our lives. Lord, thank you for the women in our lives who make us better. I pray for them. I pray for the women who are here, maybe whose husbands aren't or whose husbands aren't leading the way they should. I pray that you'd give them strength and wisdom and leading and guidance.
to continue to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you, if you will, to stand with me. We're going to sing a song of decision. And as we do, here's what I want to invite you to do. Something a little different this morning. Um, listen, it, first of all, if there's a decision that you need to make, if this morning you've invited Christ into your life, we want to celebrate that with you. Maybe you want to make Southside your church home. I want to invite you to, to come and to do that this morning. But I want to just open up the altar. and We do this, but I want to invite you to come. Whether, guys, whether it's you coming and just committing yourself to the Lord. Maybe you want to come and you want to pray for somebody else. Maybe you want to thank God for your father, the influence he was in your life. Ladies, maybe you want to come and you want to pray for someone that they would follow the Lord as they need to. Guys, specifically, would you join me as we lift our hearts up to the Lord this morning in commitment to him as we sing, Jan?